everybody, welcome to another episode of The Break. I am Father Roderick, recording this on hopefully the last warm day. We've gone through a heat wave that I just don't get used to anymore. It's so warm. Thankfully, next week, it's going to be a lot cooler. At least that's what they promised us. But uh, for now, we'll have to uh, try to to survive another warm evening and another very warm night. One of the big issues that I have with heat and heat waves like this is I just don't get enough sleep. Um, even though I have a ventilator. and is it a, No, it's not called a ventilator. We call it ventilator in Dutch. It's a, a fan. Uh, next to my bed. A ventilator, I think, is something that keeps you alive. Well, this fan actually keeps me alive during the night because I, I can't seem to cool down uh, my bedroom. We, we don't have, uh, in general, we don't have air conditioning here in the Netherlands. Uh, but the climate is changing. It's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. I remember last year, especially in the month of August, we went through some extremely hot weeks. Um, uh, there was this one week that I had to do the walk of the world, so four days of, of 50 kilometers a day of walking, and uh, it, it was just excruciating to try to get any sleep during those days. And then later on, when I went to Italy on vacation to, uh, to Tuscany, um, temperatures also were always above 30 degrees Celsius, and I just don't get any rest anymore. So it's it's really um, <laughs> I have to pay quite a price for uh, this ongoing heat. Um, also in my productivity, I just when I don't sleep enough, I don't find the energy to go sit behind a microphone or to record videos or to edit. It's just as if everything just costs me like three times the amount of energy that it normally does. Um, according to the weather forecast, it is going to be a little bit cooler. Uh, this upcoming week, so let's hope that that will be the beginning of um, of a summer trend. I I long for these old fashioned Dutch summers where you know the general temperature is between twenty and twenty five degrees, and we get a lot of rain every time. And if it gets too hot, it is soon capped by a thunderstorm, and then temperatures go down anymore. Otherwise, I don't know, maybe I'll have to move to, uh, I don't know, Norway or sub maybe the north of Scotland, <laughs> somewhere where it's cool. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. Face it, Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. All right. Well, it's um, it's been a busy week, full of um, meetings and uh, and also lots of social activities um, with our running group. We're kind of uh, uh, closing the let's say the first half year of training, and we did that with a barbecue, which was fun and also a bit strange because it was a vegetarian barbecue. Now, I I know that some of you maybe cheering there and others maybe maybe shivering in fear like a vegetarian barbecue yeah I, I had never experienced one either I generally like barbecues every once in a while I mean I, I do have my own grill uh, in the backyard I've used it only once this year but that's also because you know if you want to grill some meat if I'm just by myself and cooking for myself, it, it, it's not it's really not useful because I just don't eat that much meat nowadays. Um, but maybe a vegetarian barbecue is a good a good alternative because in general I can eat way more veggies than I can eat meat. And so uh, it was interesting to see how they how they did it. They had uh, these kebabs and and um, these sticks with with all sorts of like. Um, tomato and onion and uh, pieces of, f like, flat pieces of, oh, gosh, aubergine. I'm not sure what the word is in, in, in English. It escapes me right now. Anyway, all sorts of veggies. And then and tons and tons of salads, um, which, by the way, actually worked a lot better than, than waiting for uh, uh, the barbecued stuff because that took a long time and there were, I think, about 40, 50 people. So uh, most of the time was just spent 
just drinking some some um, uh, what is it zero percent beer uh, because I I don't like to drink alcohol especially not when it's hot like this um, and if I, uh, if I if I if I drink a beer or anything I will always regret it. Uh, when I try to sleep, because alcohol just ruins my sleep. So I try to, uh, t- tend to avoid any alcohol in the summer months. Um, and, and then I was just eating salads. And it, and it was only after about two hours. All of a sudden, I smelled something and I was like, but wait a minute, this doesn't smell like like grilled grilled watermelon. They were actually grilling pieces of watermelon. I'm not kidding you. But this smells like like chicken. And so I went over to the to the grills, and lo and behold, there was actually some meat. It turns out that one of our trainers, um, who uh, had uh, you know, was is pretty prominent within uh, our athletic community or in our athletic uh, what is it um, club, um, he had stipulated that there had to be meat. He was not going to spend an entire evening eating just veggies, and so. All of a sudden, at the end of the evening, they started to roast all the meat. Um, and, and But it was also just very, very small pieces of chicken and just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So all in all, I ended up eating, I think for 80%, it was just veggies and maybe 20% um, uh, meat. So <laughs> after I came home, I was like, yeah, I, I, I had a great time. It was wonderful, but... Man, I really crave a real barbecue now. <laughs> I really want to put some, some, some chicken or whatever, or some sausages on the grill. So maybe next week when it's getting a little bit uh, cooler, I'll um, I'll bring out the grill in the backyard and uh, and and maybe I'll 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 grill. I, we we call it barbecuing, but of course, like genuine barbecue, that's a very different technique from from. You need to have like a closed barbecue. Um, and it takes a, a long time for the for the meat to tenderize. What is it to? It's basically the smoke and just the time you wait for that meat to um, to get uh, prepared. That gives it all its flavor and it makes it tender and juicy. And but here in the Netherlands, what we call barbecue is actually just a grill, um, and and that's what I have. So maybe I'll just grill some stuff. Um, to, to compensate for, for, I just felt so healthy, which of course kind of makes sense because it was a barbecue organized by um, an athletic club and with fellow runners. So it, it doesn't really make sense to eat a whole bunch of unhealthy stuff, but it, it's just the more you, 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 you feel forced to eat healthy stuff that you start to crave the unhealthy stuff. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but... Uh, it, it, it tells me that I still have a long way to go on my journey to be a more responsible um, uh, uh, eater. <laughs> and, and if you have any ideas, so they didn't, one thing I was grateful for was they didn't use fake meat. They didn't go for, well, there was this one guy um, who made um, what he called, what was it, like mushroom burgers? And it was a mix of mushrooms and, and seeds and nuts. And it it f- tasted and had the consistency of falafel. I don't know if you know that stuff that's made out of chickpeas. Um, never really been a fan of that. Uh, but this was kind of like a burger that tasted a bit like a falafel, like a big falafel. Uh, yeah, but... I, I prefer to just go for roasted eggplant. That was the word that I was looking for, eggplant. Uh, I'd rather have roasted eggplant than um, than something that is resembling a burger. And then when you bite in it, it's all dry and crumbly, and it, it tastes nothing like meat. I just, I don't know, my system feels like that that's cheating. It, don't do this. <laughs> so I'm glad they didn't use any other like fake meat and instead just went full out. Just let let's take anything that grows in the in a garden and put it on a grill and see what happens. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. 
you're a Star Trek fan, I hope you are enjoying the second season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds just as much as I do. I love that first season, and season two is also off to a great start. First two episodes have now aired. Um, and the first one was a bit strange because Captain Pike, like the main character, was absent for most of the show, which was a bit strange, especially for a season opener. It turns out that when they were filming this, and it's it's weird to realize that they were they were actually producing this and filming this before season one even aired. So they had no idea if this new series would would uh, would work. If people would watch it. So they were already filming this. But at the time when they were supposed to film this uh, first episode of the second season, um, the actor who plays Captain Pike just became a father. So <laughs> he had a newborn child and he asked to be basically written out of that first episode so he could uh, be with his family, uh, which I think is a wonderful excuse. And then in the second episode, um, everything kind of rebalances. And uh, I can't wait to see where, where they're going to go with this uh, with this new series. I, I love that series. It's probably one of my favorite Star Trek series of all time. Um, so, yes, so glad that we have that. But that makes it even weirder that just this bit past week, we got the news that Paramount Plus, out of nowhere, suddenly had decided to cancel one of their other new Star Trek series. And I'm not talking about Star Trek Discovery. I'm, starting about, I'm talking about Star Trek Prodigy, an animated series that started just a year ago. It's geared towards a younger audience, but it's so good that I, as a, an adult Star Trek fan, really enjoyed especially the second part of the first season and they launched um this uh this new merger of uh what is it warner and paramount plus and sky and showtime um uh, as a as a, a competitor to netflix and prime video and apple plus and disney plus here in europe and one of the series they used to promote this was star trek prodigy they said, you're going to have Star Trek that you can't see anywhere else. And so they they attracted a lot of Star Trek fans to uh, uh, to Sky Showtime um, by saying, this is, this is your definite stop as a Star Trek fan. This is where it's all going to happen. And now, turns out that it's not. And actually, they're going to, they have already canceled Star Trek Prodigy. The second season was already almost finished. And they're going to take it offline, at least in the in, in the United States. So we still don't know if that's also true for Sky Showtime over here. Maybe they'll leave it on for a while. I don't know. Or, or maybe they're just going to take it away um, worldwide, globally. And and this, of course, follows a trend that we've seen, first of all, with, um, with uh, HBO Max, now called Max, where they took just some series started disappearing like Westworld you know some of their 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 high profile series um that they thought was were going to attract a, a large new audience because this was all about gaining market share there's a lot of competition in the streaming market and now that it appears that you know there are only a few big players mostly just Netflix and Disney and uh, and Prime Video all the other streaming platforms are struggling to get anywhere um, close to the percentage of of, of uh, customers that these big three have, and and so now they are focusing on making money instead of investing to gain more market share. So they've given up on 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 getting a greater market share, and now they want to make money, and so it means that they are doing away with um, a n number of series, and, and, and Disney Plus followed suit. You remember my outrage when they removed a series like Willow, um, television series that had its flaws, but still was a very sympathetic continuation, I thought, of uh, the original Willow movie and seemed to be the beginning of a whole new fantasy franchise on Disney. And so I, I had high hopes for that series. I really enjoyed that first season, but it was gone all of a sudden. They took it off, and it's, you cannot watch it anywhere anymore it's crazy apparently with uh, with Star Trek Prodigy they want to shop this around and see if some of the other platforms will will pay for showing it or it could not even be um, a streaming platform it could also be uh, 
a television channel or whatever. The thing is, we don't know. We don't know if any of the other channels will want to um, uh, invest money into a show that's basically discarded by uh, the original um, production company. They already say, well, this series is not working for us. Why would another channel or broadcasting company invest in a series that the makers have already kind of discarded? It's it's a bad trend. And I'm afraid this is not going to be the last time that this will happen. Um, Also because it's not just about paying residuals, which I initially thought. It's not just about paying like the voice actors in in, uh, the case of Star Trek Prodigy. but uh, or or the writers, but it's also about the overall value of your platform. And so, from what I've understand, uh, from what I understand, the reason that Max, for instance, got rid of Westworld and ditched that entire bat Batgirl movie that they had already finished, and, and nobody will ever see it, is because then you can devaluate your your platform for taxes, and you get a reduction in taxes. It's a very cynical way of, well, not really making money, but just saving money. And it must be so frustrating for people that have worked so hard on these series and movies and then to realize that, you know, nobody's going to see the the result of their work. I, I hope this is a temporary trend. I hope that in the future these companies will learn from this and will do some proper research to know what we as viewers like to see um, and I hope that that there will be other creative venues for this. I, I think the more kind of commercial these big companies become, the more it opens up, I think, a space for independent producers. This is how George Lucas got started with Star Wars. He was fed up with that with that um, mentality that it all had to be about big names and, and a lot of money. It was like, you know, I just want to make this quirky Star Wars movie and then we'll see, but I want to do that on my own. I want to ha- to keep the rights on everything. And he was hugely successful. And then, of course, ironically, he sold it to one of the big players <laughs> when it comes to, to, to Hollywood and, and worldwide uh, media dominance. Um but at the time, it worked, and it was a counter-reaction, I think, to the over-commercial nature of, um, of Hollywood. So maybe we're on the verge of a whole new space for, for creators. And if you see how, how much technology has evolved and how now, as a, even as an amateur, uh, you, you can use very sophisticated software and hardware um, that is on par with what they use in the let's say, the official, the big business uh, movie industry, I wouldn't be surprised that over time uh, we will see this creativity going elsewhere. And this is also a trend. We'll talk about that a little bit more in the tech section. This is also what we see happening right now in the social media sphere, where these big players like Meta, like Reddit, uh, Twitter, all these big platforms are bleeding money and they're bleeding Customers, people don't want to engage with those platforms anymore because they feel manipulated and exploited. And to a certain extent, that's exactly what we are because, uh, you know, th- these these companies make money on what we contribute to their platform. That It's not that Meta makes anything themselves, at least not on Instagram and on Facebook. It's not that Reddit produces anything. They're just hosting um, basically millions of, of, uh, of, of free... People that that work for free and just continue to provide, and and with something like Wikipedia, which is a nonprofit um, institution, I can see that why why you would want to invest in that. But with Reddit, it, other people are making money, and and you don't get much in return, and so uh, people are turning away from that. And and I think the current growth of the Fediverse, which for instance has like Mastodon and and. Um, Lemmy now is an alternative for Reddit, and there are also alternatives growing for for YouTube and for um, uh, for Instagram. Um, I think it's the beginning of a trend, and I think creatively, what I hope is that for television and for for the world of movies and and different forms of visual storytelling, um, maybe even for comics. Actually, I think that's already happening for comics, where a lot of comic artists are working for themselves, and they just self-publish. They don't need the big, the big companies anymore to, to get a following. Um, we may be just 
on this this hinge moment in time where ten years from now we'll look back on this and and we'll 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 say hey this is remember that they 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 canceled Star Trek Prodigy and just look at how much cool science fiction there is out there which is not Star Trek or Star Wars but but it's just amazing the storytellers and they are completely free and we can support them all our our money goes straight to these creators so they can can make even more cool programs um, maybe I'm just being a, a, a bit of a, a dreamer here but gosh why not why not dream of a, a different type of world where creativity is not long, no longer stifled by the desire to to uh, to make as much money as possible so anyway star trek i would say enjoy it while you can i am still finishing this uh, first season of star trek prodigy and i hope that uh, that that second season will uh, be adopted by one of the one of the other channels um here's hoping i also started watching marvel's secret invasion um which um is maybe one of the most kind of down-to-earth series. It's a much more of kind of like a spy thriller type of, of series. Um, there's not much super hero stuff going on there. Um, it features Samuel L. Jackson as maybe the, the main, the, the, the one who carries this show. Um, there is a little bit of CGI going on, so it's basically telling the story about Earth being infiltrated by this alien race uh, and and this alien race it's a, a couple of we've seen this before in the miss marvel movie um but um or no i should say the captain captain marvel i always get confused with the marvel you've got miss marvel and you've got captain marvel right uh, anyway <laughs> so um these these scrolls were promised uh, their own planet at the end of that movie and apparently they still haven't gotten that new planet and so parts of that scroll um uh race is now radicalized and they want to take over the earth basically they want to just um just uh, pick the earth as, as their planet now and uh the, the whole title secret invasion refers to that infiltration and because these scrolls can shapeshift you don't really know who can be trusted and so it also taps in into our current zeitgeist you could say where there is so much pressure on on um on journalism and uh fact finding and what is what is the truth who can you trust if even like presidents uh of, of big nations um lie all the time or used to lie all the time uh, if 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 there are entire media channels dedicated to to uh, the proliferation of these lies you know who can you trust what is truth? And, and so this series, I think, is timely in that respect. Um, I, I, I watched the first episode. It was okay. Um, I wasn't immediately like, oh, my gosh, it's the, you know, it's the greatest Marvel series ever. And I, I don't know why. Maybe because of the way the first episode ended. I felt it was a bit too mundane as a story i don't know it's it, it just didn't grab me that much it was also very serious I, I miss a bit of that levity that for me is always such a defining ingredient of, of marvel stories um but of course it's just the first episode um so we'll 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 wait and see what happens and then I'm also uh, catching up on uh, a number of Mission Impossible movies. I haven't seen a Mission Impossible movie f since forever. And th the only reason that I'm watching them now, I'm, so I'm watching, I just watched Ghost Protocol, which uh, partially takes place in, I think it's in Moscow, most of it. Just like Secret Invasion, which also s begins in Russia. Um, and uh, the Ghost Protocol, and then it, that movie moves to um, Dubai, I think, and it was it was okay. It was very very much like a James Bond movie, but very over the top. Like every five minutes, there is another stunt where you're like, sure, yeah, that's <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, it's interesting, but and and then what also struck me is that there is so much. Um, exposition before they do the stunts because th these plots have always been extremely convoluted and so they spent like five minutes long telling you in advance what you're going to watch because if you're just watching the action sequences you probably won't be able to to figure out what 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 is everybody doing and and what's happening 
Um, but this this one I felt was particularly weak. It just went all over the place, and the overall story was very thin. And yeah, I don't know. It's a, I still prefer James Bond, and then I still have to watch Rogue Nation and uh, Mission Impossible Fallout because these will disappear uh, about uh, five days from now. So um, Netflix has lost the. Um, what is it, um, the rights to showing this on their platform. It may show up elsewhere. Oftentimes when something stops at Netflix, it, 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 appear, it reappears on, on Prime Video. Uh, because Amazon, you know, Jeff Bezos, he's got so much money. He doesn't care if his platform makes money. He keeps just pouring in the millions to uh, acquire rights and to, uh, to make content because he just wants people to sign up for, for Amazon Prime because he makes a lot of money on that in general. So uh, the, 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 the whole video platform is just to sweeten the deal just as apparently he is now uh, um, considering offering um, telephone plans, or like mobile phone plans to anyone who is um, paying for, for Amazon Prime. So we'll we'll see. Anyway, um, but uh, I I just um, I'm going to watch these these other two movies. So I'm I'm caught up with Mission Impossible, <laughs> and that's that's kind of my strategy now for all entertainment. So when it comes to video games, I'm like, let's first play the games that I have before I buy new ones, and I try to really go through a game before I start another one. I do that for books as well. I've got this big, big list um, of books that I started reading but never finished them, so I'm now kind of powering through um, through these books in order to catch up with those, and I also do this with uh, with movies and TV shows. I'm even going to do it for anime, so um, thinking of starting my shorts back up on on um, with my biblical commentary on certain anime series. I'm currently uh, watching... Um, Neon Genesis Evangelion um, rebuild. So it's kind of like a remake of the original television series, but it's then the story is uh, divided over three standalone, well, not really standalone movies, but but three theatrical uh, movies, at least in duration and length. And they also changed the story partially. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to watch those and comment. It's it's if for part of it. It's the same story as in the television series that I've already commented upon. Um, but I'm going back now and do even more in depth stuff for that. And I'm also watching um, uh, the what is it called Vinland Saga, so the um, Viking uh, series. And I'm going to comment on uh, Attack on Titan. So what I do is uh, I try to watch. Uh, one of those anime uh, episodes um, at lunchtime. So after I've had my sandwiches for lunch, I sit down. And and usually that's the advantage of anime. These episodes are very short. They're like 25 minutes. There are a whole lot of them usually per season. Um, But it's just 25 minutes. And then after that, I want to sit down and just write a short you know, one or two minute uh, script for uh, for a video and see if I can kind of reboot my... um, anime channel on um on tiktok and i've also seen that um so i created a youtube channel dedicated to anime and at first i was like okay this is all kind of story secret stuff so maybe i'll just mix it with my star wars stuff um on my main youtube channel but i've i've also started a secrets of anime or i don't even know what it's called but anyway an anime channel on youtube and i only posted five or six videos there mostly about um evangelion and I hadn't checked in for a quite a while, and now I see that it all, almost has a thousand followers, um, and more than sixteen hundred hours of of watch time. So that with just a few videos, that channel has grown, and I think if I feed that a little bit, it will become uh, possible to monetize that channel. So it it shows that the algorithm really favors um, these. Uh, uh, these focused channels, um, which also helps me to determine what I do with my other YouTube channels. So I'm um, currently uh, uh, looking at um, the more kind of Catholic stuff. So the the documentaries that I make, like for instance, the series that I made about Scotland and about the the old monks in the uh, Celtic time, 
uh, of Scotland, and um, maybe also some of the, the stuff that I filmed in in Rome to put that on a uh, on one of these YouTube channels that I already have, but then focus that a little bit more on stuff that is interesting for people that want to kind of get the inside view of Catholicism and I want to take people with me. I can't do that on my on my uh, general entertainment channels. So maybe if I focus that on one channel, maybe even integrate some of the stuff that I do here on the show with, with the, the faith section. Um, if I can put that all on one channel, then maybe that will start to grow as well. We'll see. Uh, but focus apparently is um, is the way to go on YouTube at least. <laughs> Catholics rock! Speaking of faith, it is time for a quick visit to the Peculiar Bunch and well, let's talk about a question that has been on my mind and maybe also on yours. This can be a Peculiar Bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And that question has to do with um, our common, you could say, obsession this past week for the whole submarine story. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. Unless you've been living under a rock, of course, you've you've seen all the news about um, this this tiny uh, small submarine expedition to the wreck of the Titanic, and um, it started first with um, the news that uh, they had lost contact with that submarine, and then a huge rescue operation was uh, started with um, people and experts from all over the world. Uh, traveling to that the place where they la- last had contact with the submarine and uh, and then every every time it was in the news they said oh they only have oxygen for two more days and then one more day and then well our oxygen is running out and and everybody was and then they they said well we heard sounds underwater and it's like every half hour and it feels as if someone is knocking oh, it's metal a metal sound and it all kind of fit what we've seen in movies right where that's what you do when you're in trouble you just hit the side of the submarine because your electronic equipment doesn't work anymore so it, it in my mind it made sense it's like oh we're almost there we maybe the, we're going to save them and then of course the news broke that there had been a catastrophic implosion because this submarine apparently was not fit to go to these depths and there's so much pressure there that the whole thing crumbled in a in a fraction of a second and everybody inside that submarine died and then later on the the news cycle continued with even James Cameron chiming in and he said you know the moment I heard about uh, them losing contact uh, with the with the submarine I, I already knew that it was over and so we've been basically watching a PR uh, operation for for the last couple of days uh, there was no way that these people were going to be uh, to be saved and I watched um, um, a PR expert commenting on TikTok that that was what she also immediately said like the moment the news broke she said what you're currently watching is 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 not a rescue operation you're watching PR damage control uh, they just follow the book on this it's it's for her it was obvious that um, that there was no hope and and turns out she was right um, the, the thing is, what what a lot of people commented upon um, once the news broke that this submarine had perished and the people inside uh, were dead, was like, so we've been watching this with bated breath and it was the, the, the breaking news for, for days and days and days. Whereas a few days before that, there had been this horrible disaster um, in, in uh, the waters near Greece, where a refugee boat that was filled to the brim with probably more than 500 refugees had uh, sunk, sunk and, and that uh, they had found, what is it, not even 100 uh, dead bodies, and that they now assume that, uh, that 500 people have died, and among them, 100 children. Why... Haven't we heard more about that? Why did we just shrug and just move on to the next thing? Why are we so upset about these few 
billionaires that were on that tiny little submarine that everybody in hindsight knew that wasn't a safe expedition. Um, why are we so focused on these very rich people that did something stupid and we don't talk about this incredible refugee drama? <sighs> why is that? And it's easy to blame the media for that, but the media show us what we want to see. So ultimately, blaming the media is, I think, often uh, a bad idea because the media is um, is a reflection, I think, of what... what um, what the audience wants to see or doesn't want to see or doesn't want to hear, you know. We see this also in political, um, in a political realm where, you know, a lot of, uh, I follow quite a few news channels in the United States and it's it's so polarized and, and, and there seems to be little object objectivity on either the left or the right or whatever, you know, the, the, the division is in, in, in U.S. society. Um, but these channels are reporting what their customers, their viewers want to see. That's how they sell ads, and that's how they make, make money. Um, and a series like Succession also shows the irony of that and how much, you know, there, there's actually really no, not much, not much interest in the truth. It's all about what, do people want to see and how can we serve them and how can we keep them on our channel and inside the bubble that we've created. But ultimately the media are uh, our making. You know, we can change the media by changing ourselves. And so if we want to hear more about these refugee uh, disasters, then the only thing we need to do is just Google for it and try to find out and, and also maybe vote for parties that do take care of refugees. And of course, the, the big problem is not just the, the, the smugglers, uh, the, the human traffickers. That is horrible because, of course, the reason that there were 500 people on that boat is that these uh, human traffickers want to maximize their profit. So people pay large sums of money um, to these, to these uh, criminals. And then when they are, and they are promised uh, a... a a ship that will bring them to mainland Europe only to discover on the beach that there are actually going to be like five times more people on that boat than is going to be safe and there's no way back because these criminals are armed and they can't be trusted and then it's too late and then stuff like this happens. But of course, the big problem is not just the traffickers. The traffickers take advantage of, of the situation in the countries where these refugees come from. And that's ultimately what we can influence as rich countries. We have the power, the political power, the economical power, to change for the better the situation in those countries if we really want it. But oftentimes we don't want it and we just close our borders and we, uh, Im we, uh, we build walls and, and we push these boats back into t uh, international waters because it's easier to just try to repel these refugees as if they are vermin and insects rather than invest in our diplomatic uh, and economical power to, um, to make sure that these people don't have to flee their country. And, and, and that's, that's the real problem, of course. It's, it's, and, a, and a lot of these political situations are, are here because of greed, of the, these Western countries that are making a lot of money in those poorer countries and, and sometimes have... Uh, uh, it's advantageous to maintain corrupt uh, um, governments in place because that's how you can make quick deals and, you know, they're easy to manipulate. And so there's a lot of hypocrisy in the way that we think about... Uh, refugees and um, and about the international situation. So, why do I talk about this in the faith section? It is because the Catholic Church has a lot to say about these things. And it's not always welcome in the debate. Oftentimes the Church is told, even by its own members, to just shut up, you know, that's not your business. You, you, you could talk about prayers and liturgy and just stay in your lane. But 
that is not how the Catholic Church works. The Catholic Church is about values and not just about beliefs. It's about the way that we make choices in every aspect of our life and not just in the religious sphere. And so the Catholic Church has always spoken up about social justice, about poverty, about a just um, balance and a just, just distribution of resources. You only have to look at what Jesus does, how he is always with the poor, with the sick, how he distributes himself food so that everybody can eat, not just the rich. And his constant dedication to uh, the people in the margins of society is the blueprint of what the church later on was called to be and has not always done that. If you look at church history, there are lots and lots of times where important leaders in the in the church were corrupt and were also tempted by power and money and influence and sin. Uh, but there's also always been this corrective movement in the church where the church has always renewed itself and sometimes has really repented for its negligence of those social questions and i think today uh, that is just as important as it's ever been and and one of the things that i really appreciate of our of the catholic church for the last let's say 10 15 years is this emphasis on these big global issues that we're struggling with and not just about religious stuff but that we talk about climate change and the, and the consequences of climate change for the, especially for the poor and for the countries that suffer the most from these th the way the climate is changing um, the, the church continues to talk courageously about the the conversion to peace and, uh, and and continues to try to do whatever it can to establish peace and to bring people together to talk instead of to to fight um, the church, continues to try to listen to those that feel excluded. And I think the church is in the process of making you know, a, a big U-turn in the way uh, she herself talks about people that have been excluded and have been judged for so long. Uh, and it all starts with listening. You know, what's on your heart? What's going on? What do you expect of us? Uh, the question that Jesus asks everyone, he, well, everyone, a number of people that he meets along the road what do you want me to do? What can I do for you? That is what Jesus asks um, people. And, and then he, he does it. He helps them. He, he fulfills their, uh, their dreams and he hears their prayers. And he asks us to be church in the same way by listening and asking people, what do you need from us? And nobody wants a church that is full of itself and, and just, uh, you know, judging everyone. No, a lot of people are in need of a church that cares for them, that loves them unconditionally and that helps them to find the truth of who they are and, and supports them in the choices that they make and, and proposes them a future that is positive and that they can, can embrace and that makes them happy instead of just wagging the finger and saying what you do is wrong and you can only be a follower of Jesus uh, if, if you first do this and this and this and this. Oftentimes I think the church has forgotten that the, the way Jesus interacts with people, of course, is, um, is challenging, but also unconditional. His first encounter is always unconditional, and then later on when, when there is trust or, or, or trust starts to build, that's when he suggests people to change their lives. And I think the church oftentimes does that in the inverse and starts with saying, you know, you're not good enough. You're not good enough for us. You're not good enough for, for, for God. Um, and, 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 you know, then the encounter stops. And I think that's also maybe the, the, the case with the way that we interact with the world and with its, its crises. Um, I don't think that the Catholic Church should ever let itself be regulated to uh, relegated to the, the 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 fringes of the news, you know, as if the church can only talk about religious stuff. Um, no, the liturgy is very important. The worship of God is super important, 
but you cannot worship God and forget your neighbor. The, the prime directive that Catholics live by is love God and your neighbor as you love yourself. That's, that's what Jesus puts it, uh, front and center in his message and what he wants his apostles to abide by. And, uh, and, and, and so it's not just about worshiping God and then well, let the rest leave that, leave that to, to the world. No, that's as disciples in this world, we are called to be the light of the world and to, um, to, to, to be a shining example of, of justice and truth and uh, um, to be, uh, as Pope Francis often calls it, to be a field hospital where people can find healing instead of just a diagnosis and a rejection, right? The church is not here to do triage. The church is here to ask, what can we do for you, and to do that. And I think that will be the future of the Catholic Church, especially in the countries where the, the actual church life, the religious, liturgical life is on the decline. You know, the, the moment you start worrying too much about yourself and about your own survival, that's when you start to lose interest in, um, in the world around you that needs you. And so one of the things that I love about our Marian devotion in the Catholic Church is, is that we venerate the Virgin Mary because she's always... Um, making herself small. She is the servant of the Lord. And she always points to her son, you know, do whatever he tells you to do. So she is very powerful in bringing the sorrows of the world, not just religious problems, but they have no wine. You know, there's nothing more practical than that. But she brings it to Jesus and she points people to Jesus and she encourages people to, to do what Jesus tells them to do well we know what jesus tells us to do because it's it hasn't changed since uh, the the times that he sent his apostles on on their mission you know just go out there go to the people heal the sick uh cast out the demons raise the dead uh free people that are imprisoned feed the hungry uh, you know clothe the naked um all, all these these works of mercy that's what Jesus wants us to do. And if we do all that, we have our hands full. We don't have even got time anymore to worry about our own survival. We will be surviving because that is, we are doing exactly what we're supposed to do. And all the rest, you know, is irrelevant. Do what Jesus asks you to do and all the rest will be given to you um, as, as a gift, it, like in, in, in addition to, to that. But, but it's focus on how you help um, because there, there's no one who is anonymous for God he cares and loves the billionaires and the people that do stupid things by trying to you know fly to outer space in spaceships or to dive to the depths of the ocean in 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 in, um, in submarines but he he knows those people and loves them just as much as he loves those anonymous refugees and these children that have drowned on the seas and nobody cares for and that are used by these traffickers as commodities as 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 entities that brings it bring the money um for god they're all his children and he loves them just as much as he loves his son that i think is the good news but we have to act upon that. And if we don't treat people equally, if we say, well, some of you are my brothers and sisters, and but others, you, you're not good enough to be my brother and sister. In fact, I consider you to be a threat to my values, to my survival, to my existence. As long as we keep thinking of other people as, as our rivals, we're not there yet. We still have a way to go. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? Slowly catching up on my, um, my to-read list. And uh, this past week I read uh, four new books. Two of them were Dutch 
and one is in, and the other two are English. Uh, one I'm still finishing uh, today. So the, um, to start with the, the the book that I'm currently reading, I'm still really enjoying the first book in the Silo trilogy series. Of course, uh, you heard me talk about the Silo television series on Apple TV Plus, which is really cool. Started to read the first book that led to this television series, which was published a couple of years ago. It's called Wool. And one of the reasons that I wanted to read the book was to see if it was very different from television series or not. So I'm trying to follow after each episode. I try to read the, the book until the events that I just saw on TV. Um, and it's interesting how much these two are different. Like the main plot is the same. And so if you read the book, you're going to be spoiled if you haven't seen the television series anymore. Uh, but I think the t TV series takes that creative liberty and, and uses it in a very good way by rewriting some of the characters, by also sometimes completely changing the um, chronology of events. Uh, sometimes it changes the gender of certain characters in the book. So a, 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 a grumpy guy, old guy becomes a, a slightly less grumpy old lady, etc., etc. Um and I think what the TV series does uh, in a superb way, and in that respect I think is much better than the book, is the way it builds up tension in every episode. And it makes, it, it amplifies certain events that are not that important in the book, but it, it just gives so much emotional payoff in the series. Um, and they do that in, in such an amazing way, especially now that I've read the book or that I'm reading this first book, I can see how, how much they added value and quality to the TV scripts. And it's a, it's a real fun way to read the same story in two incarnations. And uh, it gives me even more respect for the original story and also for the way in which the, the, the writers that are currently, of course, all on strike, how much TV writers are essential to, to um, moving a... Uh, something from the realm of books to the realm of television shows because it's a different medium, it's a different language. And so sometimes you have to change things. This is why I fear for the the, the reboot of Harry Potter. If they're going to do a television show that's going to adhere strictly to the books, that may actually not be very good. And uh, the movies, I think, were so successful because... They were rewritten, and, and they were these stories were retold by someone who knew how to tell stories in, in the language of, of, of movies. And J.K. Rowling with the Fantastic Beasts series has shown that that is not her forte, not at all. It doesn't surprise me that these movies really didn't, didn't work um, in the same way as the Harry Potter movies. And so I, I don't know if... if, if She's going to be super in control of that reboot. We may look at 10 years of, of failure and everybody's going to compare these TV shows to the original movies and say, ah, it's not working. Maybe the best way, what I would advise is do what, what Star Trek Prodigy did or do what Disney did with uh, the Clone Wars. Turn it into an animated series and then... You can become more. You can be more, much more literal. It's a different dynamic, and because it's animated, you won't have that comparison between the actors that everybody has embraced so much over the years in in the original Harry Potter uh, movies and the, the, their namesakes in in this TV show. I, I think they should just do it as an animated series. But maybe that's just not going to bring in enough people because, unfortunately. Uh, there's still this this idea that if it's animated, it's for kids, which I think it's not true. And and the more I'm I'm watching anime and I start to uh, to uh, study that particular art form, the more I think that no animation is actually it's it's just a language. You can you can make animated stuff for kids. You can also make it for adults. Um, and every genre is represented in anime. So why wouldn't that work for for Harry Potter? Anyway, um, so. Uh, Silo or Wool, the first part of the Silo trilogy, um, I, I would recommend it. The th second book that I've, the, the two Dutch books that I've been reading um, were one is um, uh, Profession Adventurer, it's written by 
Kees van der Speck, who is a, a filmmaker or, or actually a television program maker um, who has worked in conjunction with a, a very famous uh, crime journalist for years who unfortunately was killed by um, uh, one of the criminals, criminals that he was exposing. Um, but Kees uh, van der Speck has also made a number of series himself, by himself, And in those episodes, he uh, usually travels the world to expose crooks and people that are, you know, swindling other people out of money. Um, and in this book, he gives an insight in how these episodes came about. And it's it's always a joy to read stuff from fellow uh, television makers. It's very inspiring to see how, how they come up with stories and how they sometimes have to salvage situations where nothing goes according to plan and... Uh, for me, it's oftentimes super recognizable. I was like, yeah, oh my gosh, I, I so recognize it. You come home and you have a lot of footage, but you have no story because you're, you're the main person that you were going to interview was not there, was not available, or something went wrong, or you forgot to turn on your microphone, and then you have to save that episode in, in post, in post-production. And so uh, editing is super vital. But also gave me a lot of ideas on how to become a better filmer on location because a lot of what he does is whenever something is going is about to go wrong um he just with his crew thinks about so how can we salvage this and they turn that into part of the narrative whereas i'm always thinking oh i'll fix it in post but then i i give myself so much homework afterwards to to salvage the material that i have and i think this um learning from this experienced program maker uh, was definitely helpful for my future endeavors in television. Um, the other book I read was by, uh, is about the life of a long distance runner who's originally from Somalia, but was raised here in the Netherlands. He's called Abdi Nagi. And, um, and in that book, which is based on a lot of interviews with him, uh, he tells the story of how as a refugee he ended up in the Netherlands and talks about his uh, Muslim background and the differences with Dutch culture and all how all that kind of ties into his career as a runner. It was interesting to read, um, mostly for the cultural stuff because a lot of the things that he ta tells about his running career, um, it's either like discouraging for me. It was like, man, I should have started... 30 years ago, if I ever wanted to become a fast runner, I'm way too old for that now. Um, and, and yeah, so, but it, it's still, the thing that surprised me most was how human these, these runners are. If you see these guys finishing first in big marathons, you think, well, duh, they're super athletes, but actually they too fail more than that they win. And that was comforting to read that, that they, they too can have races where just, they completely break down and they have to even step out of the race. And there's no shame in that as long as you take that as an occasion to, to examine what went wrong and to learn from it. So anyway, um, it was an interesting book. And then the last book uh, was a book that I didn't think I would enjoy. It's written by Oprah Winfrey and it's called The Path Made Clear, Discovering Your Life's Direction and Purpose. It's, it's basically a, a, a typical Oprah Winfrey book. It's mostly consists for 80%. Of, of quotes and excerpts from interviews that she's done. And, of course, uh, she has a very, very long career interviewing people. Um, and then they just brought all these segments together around a common theme, which in this case is um, your vocation, your purpose. What are, what, why are you here? Which, of course, is uh, one of the central questions in the, in the old catechism of the Catholic Church. Why, are, why am I here on this, this earth? Um, and she interviews a whole bunch of different people from all sorts of backgrounds, also religious people and, and priests and um, about vocation. And there's a lot of wisdom, and I actually really enjoyed uh, reading this. I was constantly taking notes of stuff that I was like, wow, that is, I have to remember this. And a lot of it is uh, very much... Uh, what I've also read in other self-help books and learned from other people. Um, but it's good to have like this very constant, concentrated summary of all those life lessons. And I, I, I wrote down a couple of, of um, uh, uh, rules to live by just to share it here on the podcast. And, and so I'll just um, quote a few of them. 
there was this recurring quote. There's sometimes a bit of repetition in the book. Uh, but someone said, God has actually, to every prayer, God has basically three types of answers. It's either yes, or it's yes, but not now, or not yet. Or I have something better in store. And and that is, I think, very much uh, the way I've experienced the way God hears prayers. It's 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 never a total no. It's, it, <laughs> God hears every prayer, prayer as Jesus uh, confirms, but He will hear it in His way. And sometimes He has something better in store for us. You just need to to trust it. Uh, another um, quote I wrote down is your worth is not your salary. Don't ever think that your self-worth is only uh, determined or proven by the amount of money that you make in life. Uh, This one is also important. Don't live by the idea, well, once that I'm thinner and once I'll be retired, I'll do this and this and that. No. You never know what's going to happen and you you step out of the, the current the current moment, grace is in the here and now, so live in the here and now. Don't, don't think it's only waiting uh, at the horizon of, of your current situation. Make the most of every moment in your life. Um, related to that, don't fight or mourn the fact that you are getting older. We're all getting older, but embrace it as a gift. That's certainly how I've always tried to experience the process of growing older. I, I, it never bothered me. I don't get upset. Sometimes it makes me a bit anxious. It's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how quickly time goes by. And am I truly doing what I need to do right here and now? But overall, I think the older I get, the more I I love it. And the more I grow in wisdom and the more I have to share. Because I learn so much by by growing older. So it's a, it's a, gra- it's a grace. It's a gift. Um, see everything that happens as an occasion to grow. Even the bad stuff. That's another good one. Uh, I like this one as well. People will not always remember what you said or what you did, but they will remember how you made them feel. Think of your favorite teacher in school. It's not about what they taught you, but it's how they made you feel. It's how they made you excited and passionate about what they were teaching or how they treated you. Uh, this one is good too. Creativity is not something you have to work for, but it's something you let flow through you. I like that too. Sometimes I can be in this creative rut where I'm thinking, oh man, I just, ah, uh, it's so much work. And then I, the moment I let go, the moment I don't con- see that as just something I have to do or I have to force myself to do, and I just, let this creative process take a hold of me, that, that's when I become much more creative than when it's just work. Um, so so uh, turning your hobby into your work is, is a dangerous, dangerous uh, way of, of leading your life because the moment your hobby turns into work, it may not actually be your hobby anymore. You may not enjoy it anymore. Um, this one is also good. Find your happiness not in what you possess, but in how you help others in life. So life is not about stuff, about money. It's about what you mean to other people. Um, And then this one also, we are often so afraid that we won't have enough, that we're constantly stockpiling, instead of realizing that we can live out of the abundance of what has been bestowed upon us. That's true too. I'm definitely uh, guilty of that, of that... Uh, scarcity mindset where I'm so anxious sometimes like will we have enough to pay the bills I need to do more of this I need to do more of that and instead of telling myself well no actually you know it's it, there is you you have a, a house <laughs> you have people that care for you you're not going to starve <laughs> you're, it's going to be okay focus on the abundance um, all right, and with that, I think we need to start wrapping things up. I wanted to talk a little bit more about technology, uh, especially when it comes to bikes. You know that I'm a runner and a walker, but I have a lot of fellow runners, and their second sports is is bike riding. And I'm starting to get intrigued, especially now that I've learned a little bit about the 
advancements in, in biking technology. I know that some of you are seasoned bikers, so if you have any advice to give me, and if you're one of my patrons, then uh, I, I'd, I'd welcome your advice. You know, what, what bike should I get? I only have, like, touring bikes, but I'd like to have, like, a racing bike, maybe? Anyway, speaking of patrons, I don't want to end the show without thanking a few new patrons. Grant Woolner, Thomas Salerno, and I also want to uh, thank Stephen Edenson uh, for moving up to a higher tier. And thanks to all my other patrons that make it possible for me to do this, this work. Um, the other day I got a, um, an email from a, one of my listeners um, who, uh, who wrote me, I've been listening to your podcast and it has really motivated me to go back to church, especially the walk. It's been really important in my, my own walk of faith. This is why I do what I do, and this is why I'm so thankful for my patrons that make that possible. You can join them for as little as $2.50 per month on patreon.com slash fatherrodrick. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and we'll talk soon. God bless. <laughs>